Disclaimer. Hey guys, today's episode is going to be a bit more sober than usual. We'd like to preface this by stating that we are not mental health professionals. If you or anyone you know is suffering from the effects of mental illness, please don't hesitate to seek professional help. That being said, once again this show is homemade, please lower your expectations, and with that, welcome to the podcast. Pretty much everyone has been effed up in some way or another. Unfortunately, it's pretty much an inescapable part of existing. We're all effed up in different ways, by different things, and we've all responded differently as well. However, pretty often, the things that eff us up end up being responsible for pretty much who we are today. I'm your host, Josh Anglerfish NG, and you're listening to WFYU. What effed you up? Mental health. It's something we've had quite a bit of time to think about over the past two weeks. Some of us are probably doing just fine, chilling at home with the fam and occasionally hitting up friends to pass the time. Others are bouncing against the walls and pacing the floors. After all, lockdown and cabin fever go pretty much hand in hand. However, regardless which of the two categories you fit in, you probably wouldn't deny that the current coronavirus pandemic has tossed up some interesting questions about mental illness. With thousands set to lose their jobs, and all of us cooped in the confines of our homes, perhaps it's time we took another look at our attitudes and approaches towards dealing with mental illness. Today, we're actually joined by a guest that wants his name to be released. Hello, Fred. Hello. How has quarantine been treating you? Oh, it's been all right. It's been, you know, there's like little snippets of positive and negative, but I'm just taking it for what it is. So it's been chill for the most part. So what's been bugging you? Well, I, it's just, and it's something I've noticed, especially with the health crisis that we have right now, but it's more so focused on mental health. So I feel like what's got me effed up, if we can put it that way, is the fact that we don't really address mental health concerns the right way. So take the COVID-19 outbreak, for example. So this is like obviously a disease, right? It's very physically treatable. It can be isolated into a pathogen. Mm-hmm. Mental health doesn't yeah. really have that advantage because then you need to consider kind of how you treat it differently, but we don't. So with my personal experience, right? Um, a lot of the times how you treat something like depression or anxiety is generally very drug-based. So like, okay, take this drug, it's going to make you feel better. And then after you work on therapy, but that seems convoluted to me, right? Because like what we call and what we label as depression is very much a very broad view. So it takes a lot of people with a lot of different problems, but sharing, you know, the same one symptom and lumps them into know what we call depression i think it's not good especially when we're trying to treat it because it means that certain methods are going to be ineffective for some people while it works for other people so like you just feel like it's sort of oversimplified in a way the way that we try to put labels on things as well because like you said right pathogens super easy everything has a genetic code you can isolate that you know it'll take years but eventually you'll get there but for something like depression that varies on a person-by-person basis it's sort of hard to actually tell the right way to approach 
each individual case again because you know everyone experiences it slightly differently yeah exactly exactly my point so i've heard someone on the internet put this a really good way right and that's our current health system tries to treat the disease and what we need to be doing is treat the individual so it's like the difference between fighting the disease versus caring for the patient exactly and generally i just feel like this extends to a certain degree past just like mental health illnesses to a certain degree it goes towards all illnesses like i feel like our current health system just is very inadequate at dealing with a whole range of things not just facets of mental health for example patients with terminal illnesses or illnesses that require a very high level of pain management in order to get through mm-hmm. because because we're not giving them the proper pain relief people have been asking for things such as um, euthanasia assisted suicide but assisted suicide is a solution to a problem which is only created in our current health space because our pain management isn't sufficient so a lot of the times yeah. a lot of the times we're giving pain relief but it's not sufficient or we're denying pain relief to some patients that may need it which is why cause for things like assisted suicide you know exist and it's kind of a sad situation if you think about it like people would prefer to die purely because they're not getting the help that they need which is like fucked up to be honest and i feel yeah. like it's it's also a fault on not so much the health system but also the the government itself because as mental health illness rates rise right and we see more and more cases of it and it clearly becomes you know more of a crisis i think that outdated laws and prohibitions on things such as schedule 9 drugs right um mm-hmm. those really need to be reconsidered because if we are going to use drugs to try and treat things like depression things like mental illness why not start at a place where ignoring all legality drugs would work the most efficiently so i've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence about for example drugs like weed what do you call i'm completely like magic mushrooms right disassociative type hallucinogenic drugs which have been useful in treating depression because depression is very individual i just feel like it's so obvious when you look at other countries who have started to adopt uh, for example legalization of not not just uh, these drugs but a wide range of previously illegal drugs right and while i understand why they're still not legal it just it really does confuse me because for example very recently the us approved a breakthrough usage of hallucinogenic drugs in therapy so in treatment of depression anxiety bipolar disorder or whatever it may be and i feel like this like this crisis because it can be very unspoken right you don't necessarily show symptoms of mental health risk to the public which is what in my opinion makes this a more important issue than other set illnesses right yeah because like you know when you have something wrong with you you don't really want other people to see it as well because it just makes you feel vulnerable in a way that you don't want to like yeah. show anything to yeah. other people for me personally right mm-hmm. it's kind of like um and i and i look back it it's a very novel way to to look at things but like essentially complaining about these issues never feels good who wants to be you know who wants to be around someone that you know keeps saying negative stuff right like even i like i would be i'd rather be around people who are like you know say positive things and say happy stuff you know like no one wants to hear about problems right or like, at least you know one wants to hear about problems if you don't like you know pretty it up a little bit yeah pretty, 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 pretty much 
pretty much right it does contribute a factor definitely the fact that we don't speak up enough on these issues when it comes to it and that also just comes with the general i would still say negative stigma that mental health has it's a combination of the fact that we don't have an adequate way of treating it we don't have well i guess legal arm room to test new ways of treating it yeah but we're also stuck in a loop because well, people with mental health problems rarely feel like they're able to voice exactly how they feel. Yeah, 100%. That just kind of leaves us in a problem where we very clearly need a solution. The point I want to emphasize is that I feel like a lot of people, especially ones who don't have close contact with mental health illnesses, they don't understand that the system is clearly not adequate to deal with these problems. Like, um, I have, you know, people close to me who are going through med school right now and a lot of the people that are going through it approach it um and approach the health system as a whole is kind of like okay use modern medicine of you know prescribing a drug um seeing if surgery works while and just completely ignoring alternative health systems right and i feel like that kind of stems from a place where we accept that empirical and scientific studies are the most effective in dealing with problems but we ignore the fact that those only exist because they were a means to create the most effective method to do something. And so if your current method isn't effective at actually treating illnesses, such as mental health illnesses, or with pain relief, why bother sticking with that system? That goes against the actual origins of what your system was created to do. It, it just, all of this combines with public, not so much public knowledge, but a lack of public knowledge about what goes on because people you know find it hard to speak up about these experiences and it just it just kind of seems i guess hopeless which is which sucks for, especially for people with this illness do you feel like it would be better if we do adopt something that is slightly further away from empirical i think because the main problem with things like for example advocating the treatment of mental illnesses with hallucinogenics such as weed or like something like that right yeah is the idea that when the evidence is anecdotal, it's super easy to just dismiss it. Yeah, uh, no, 100%. Like, I get what you're saying, right? But I feel like we've moved past the point where we need to worry about that because, in my personal opinion, it's clear that the current drugs we have now don't work. Just personally, I've been on two different antidepressants, sertraline and venlafaxine. Sertraline didn't help me that much Venlafaxine did help me for about six months, but now I'm taking 300 milligrams of it a day. I don't feel any difference, essentially. Like, this is a problem. And the studies that have been done on this show that 67% of people who take it do not experience a placebo effect. So there's a significant difference, right? But what does significant difference actually mean? Does it mean that they can get better? Like, from, from depression, right? And I think the answer is not going to be yes. I feel like the drugs we have right now, even though they have been back in the empirical data, they haven't been effective enough in treating people. And so we need to be looking into other avenues. So these drugs that you were prescribed, they weren't having any effect on your actual mental well-being? So to the credit of one, venlafaxine, um, mm -hmm. it did have an impact. It had a significant impact for about six months where I actually felt what I would describe as, as normal right in my life um the only problem with the drug is that it's essentially not effective now right and what's even worse is that 
my body's developed a physiological dependence on it. So if I don't oh. take it, I feel like shit. I can't operate. Right. And so I'm stuck taking a drug which does nothing, but I have to take instead. Right. And so problems with, I feel like these kind of drugs, you, you really have to do have to evaluate the negative side effects weighed up against the benefits. And while I would say it's still worth it overall, because my experience with this drug has given me, you know, approximately maybe four, five, six months where I did feel normal. Long term, it's obviously not feasible. Right. So, so long term. So like when you first start taking it, it does improve your life. Mm, yes. Or yes. just waiting about a quarter to half a year, then it no longer has the same impact. Yes. And I think this is also a key point that needs to be stressed, especially when dealing with mental health issues, is that a lot of the times how we treat it is drugs first and then treatment of the underlying problem later, which works in the case of mental health because it makes sense that depressed people can't really change how they think or how they behave when they're in a depressed state. But I think this approach is fundamentally flawed because the approach you need to take should be first step, always try and treat the problem first. Um, no matter how the person is feeling, in my opinion, because if you take that first step and then don't get anywhere on the second step, you just lead to a worse place. Because, you know, for yeah, for so example, it's the idea of treating the symptoms while also getting rid of the root problem that's causing the symptoms. Yes, I don't think drugs should be the first prescription people, t you know, tend towards. It should be very much, you know, how can you change elements of your life so that you're not so depressed? Yeah, that also, that also ties in with the pharmacological nature of our health system. The fact that it's like, okay, you know, drugs, they, they've had a proven history of, you know, hundreds of years of treating illnesses, but once this mental health crisis pops up, they don't do too fine. And that's fine, of course, but we should be doing something to change it, right? Because it's very clear that it's not sustainable, especially yeah. for this kind of, these kinds of diseases. So you've brought up the fact that mental health problems tend to develop in an environment that causes them to arise, right? Yes. Yeah. So in your case, what sort of things were happening that led you down that road? <laughs> so... This is, this is also the interesting thing with my depression, is that I don't know. So there's a psychiatrist online, great guy, does a lot of great work, who's mentioned a, a couple of things in kind of Hindu roots um, that may apply to normal people. So let's, let's talk about, for example, um, the COVID-19 outbreak, right? Yeah. Um, because of the stress, you know, financial, the lack of social contact, for example, so the isolation aspect, someone can very easily get depression, right? But the key problem between, I feel like there's kind of an, an intrinsic type of two types of depression, right? The key difference between someone like that and, for example, someone like me is that they know where to start with their illness, right? And in Hindu, what they call that is a, a samskar, which is kind of like a ball of undigested emotion. So if you know what that is, you can get to it, unravel it, and fix it. In my case, I still don't know. I, even if I had one, I haven't realized what that is yet. So for me, especially, I, you kind of hit a dead end of where to go from here. Can you identify around a rough time period where these symptoms started to crop up? Most noticeable 
so it, it's very easy, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. that's what they say, right? So it's very easy to kind of look back in my life and realize exactly when my symptoms started. So at a very young age, I think I knew something wasn't right with me. So this would be um, seven, something like that. But I, I do have it better in the fact that it wasn't necessarily suicidal. I just had kind of thoughts of death, I guess I would say. And because I was okay. young, no idea about what they were. It didn't really impact me. I didn't have a necessary desire to die. Um, yeah. But I think it, it most cropped up um, in my adolescence. So when I was going through puberty, I guess, um, 12. Okay, so when you were about 12 years old, thereabouts? Yeah, yeah. About, yeah, very similar, you know, I guess feelings of hopelessness and then also naturally thoughts of death. But yeah. I guess it differs from person to person. Yeah. But at some point, all of us become aware of the fact that death is a thing. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, from that age onwards, it's just a matter of learning to figure out what our attitude towards death is going to be. I think that's also not helped with my kind of understanding that this was an actual issue. Because, I mean, I assume that everyone thought about death, right? And to an extent, their own death. For me, it was also, um, it was always a kind of natural I felt like, you know, everyone was going through what I was going. Yeah, it was it was also very hard to kind of identify that this was an actual issue, right? But yeah. I mean, reflecting on death in and of itself probably isn't too much of a bad thing. For example, right, go with something that, you know, I can talk about from my own personal yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Let's, say, let's say peanuts kill you. Yes. Every time you walk into a nut section of a supermarket, mm. you are literally facing death. Yes. And in a certain way, right, it kind of numbs you to that fact. Right. But again, the issue comes when you have something else in your life that gives you an extra feeling, like you said, of hopelessness, where you feel that death could happen, but so what? Yeah, 100%. I feel like it, it also, um, because personally, so I, I don't like treating my illness as, um, you know, anything special, right? In my eyes, it's just it's just another illness, and no one like if you you can ask all the disabled people in the world about how they get treated different. It sucks. It's terrible. Like no one with a disability wants people to you know walk on eggshells around them just because they have a disability, right? We all want to be treated as normal human beings. We don't want to be cuddled. Mm, mm, very much so. Um, oh, I've forgotten where I was going with this. <laughs> What's the That's start fun. of my point again? The start of your point was we don't want to be, we don't voice out stuff because we don't want to be seen as different. Yes, 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 yes. Um, it was, uh, it was, sorry, what, what did we talk about right after your, um, your peanut allergy? So peanut allergy, feeling of hopelessness. So there's the, we acknowledge that death is there, but so what? Right, 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 right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, now, now, oh my, I swear I have like Alzheimer's or something. <laughs> now, now I've forgotten uh, exactly what I talked about right after that. So feelings of hopelessness with death. And then, oh man. I don't want you to feel under pressure talking nah, about nah, this. Nah, nah, I'm, nah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Um, okay. It just is very, you know, like I've, I've lost my, it's very hard to keep my train of thought moving from yeah, topic yeah, yeah. to topic. You know what I mean? But um, we could try, well, I mean, we could come back to that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. All right. Uh, okay. But, so, for yes, example, yes, right, yes. you've said that you've had feelings of hopelessness, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
do you think it's anything aside from that that combined with your acknowledgement of death to cause this to appear i'm I'm not sure because when i guess it kind of feels like okay when you strip down who i am to bare essentials you know assuming you know context um my environment doesn't affect anything it kind of feels like no matter what i'll still be depressed fundamentally and you have said this before but i have a very hard time on touching kind of the fundamentals of my depression like like why exactly it is i feel this way so and yeah i'm like i've said as well it's i kind of feel like there's fundamentally two types where the people with problems even though they do have problems you know they they do have a sense of where to start because they've identified their problem it's just i feel like in my case i don't know if there is a problem i don't know if i'm just you know stuck like this right i don't think that my well of course that could be the case right mm. but it doesn't always have to be because like you said before our environment can play a massive part in whether we develop these things or not mm. and it's super hard to actually take notice of your environment because it's so immediately around you yeah it's sort of like the goldfish problem where the one thing that fish don't know the existence of is, you know, the water that they right. swim in. Right. Was there anything in your environment that would have given you this feeling of hopelessness? Not, not particularly. Um, my kind of, so my, my kind of um, philosophical struggle, I guess, is very similar to, if we put it in terms of um, literature, um, very similar to absurdist ideals, right? Of kind of what's the meaning is there a meaning doesn't matter if there's a meaning on a further step it's just that and that's that's kind of the struggle that i guess i have a problem with right but the more also the more interesting thing is lately i've also realized um there are kind of key parts about depression or particularly my experience with it that contradicts itself for example the notion of um Kind of like free will, right? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to elaborate a bit on this. Sorry, I'm getting a bit off track, but you have a suicidal thought, right? Yes. I recently, I wanted to kind of break this down fundamentally and think, okay, what exactly does it mean, right? And so the first glance is it's very easy to interpret a suicidal thought as a form of wanting to die, especially when okay. the person themselves has it, because, you know, that's exactly what a suicidal thought is, right? kind of a ma manifestation of a desire to die. But what's more interesting to me, I feel, is that suicidal thoughts kind of represent the complete opposite, which is a, a desire to live. Because um, we're break, breaking down the logical thought process, right? If you really wanted to die, then why are you still here? A, a person who wanted to die wouldn't have suicidal thoughts. They'd have suicidal actions. And while it is true that in cases of suicidal thoughts, it's very common for follow-up occurrences of suicidal action, I actually yes. kind of believe that suicidal thoughts are kind of a precursor way of saying, okay, you know, help me, right? So I, suicidal thoughts in and of itself, it's, well, having suicidal thoughts in and of itself is an act of trying to cry for help. Yes, the, yes. The nature of a suicidal thought contradicts its actual agency right like it, it, okay. it, it implies that 
um, the suicidal thought in and of itself does not accurately represent what you actually want. If you look at it that way, could you say that a suicidal thought comes from a new sense of self-awareness that you're not happy with the situation you're in right now? I, yes, yes, very much so. I think that's a very, very good way to put it, actually. I've always seen it as kind of a way of, it's kind of like a mental manifestation of your current unhappiness instead of a physical one, right? Because a physical one would be a suicidal action. So, okay. Yeah, if you I, didn't take this further, right, mm. would the root of a suicidal thought be something other than a desire to die, like you said, but would it possibly be something like a desire simply to just escape from your current situation? Mm, that's, that. I think it, it might be so, right? It's just that, okay, actually, yes, yeah, I think, yeah, you, you've touched on the good point, um, which is, you know, the nature of escapism with with um illnesses such as um depression right you something yeah. is very clearly wrong with your life and you want to change that it's just that you don't know exactly how to change it so the very easiest way to do it is simply to remove that life right and that changes it you know fundamentally of course um and very extreme but that's but, but it's, also if identifying the fact that you are if you've now identified the fact that you are not satisfied with what is going on around you, would finding the root cause to that cure the suicidal inclinations? Mm. I would say that's, a, you know, a, like, especially coming from my own perspective, right? Or being like clinically diagnosed as depressed. I think that's a mm -hmm. very, very hard question to answer, um, especially for people who, like me, don't really have a clear cause on what their depression may be. Technically speaking, a, a lot of the treatment methods say yes. And that's what um, a lot of treatment methods for things like PTSD do essentially, right? Because it's all stemmed in the fact that, okay, there's you know something wrong. Once you take it out, once you fix it, you'll be you know, completely normal again. But I don't, I don't know, it's, it's just, um, kind of hard to view depression that way um, especially when having experienced it for so long because i think that yeah. a lot of depressed people once you've lived with it for so long it starts to feel natural that it never goes away right you just kind of so you like, start to view it as sort of you know a normal part of yourself or your life yes it's it's very easy to think that that nothing no part of this disease will ever change and you just kind of have to accept it either accept it or, you know, reject it and, you know, end up killing yourself. Do you feel like accepting your depression, like, you know, the fact that it exists, the fact that you have it, mm. helps you against suicidal action? It's very hard. So, it's, again, <laughs> as, it, as it is always with illnesses of this condition, it, it's very hard to say. I'd like to think that there are kind of two states which I can be in, right? The rational mm -hmm. mind and the irrational mind, especially when I'm influenced by depression. When looking at things from kind of a rational mind perspective, um, for example, the one I'm in right now, um, it's easy to say yes. It's easy to say, okay, if I know that this is how things are, then it's easy for me to somehow find a coping method for it. But personally experiencing that kind of the irrational depressed state 
when when you get left in that state, it's very very kind of hard to see hope, and it's very hard to fall back onto previous thinking experiences. Um, because you're no longer able to rationalize away the depression, right? Yes, exactly. So yeah, I I think that would be um kind of the key difference, right? Whether or not you're in that state, or whether or not you can reliably get out of that state. When the symptoms of depression do come on, right? Mm. There is no real way of predicting when they will happen. Ah, uh, pr- pretty much none. There are um, so there there are actually a couple of um. Each person individually has almost precursory symptoms, right? Where you can kind okay. of identify. Okay, they're kind of slipping because a lot of people with depression, our moods can be described kind of as a wave. It undulates, right? It goes up and down. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes you can catch people as they're coming down and kind of, you know, be ready to, to, for it to hit rock bottom, right? But sometimes you also don't see that. And so it's kind of unreliable whether or not you can tell um, when someone is um, kind of slipping into that depressed state. Well, let's say you have a friend, right? Yes. Okay. And they are slipping into their rock bottom mm. what would you advocate as the best way of helping them cope because like you've pointed out before mm. there is really no way to cure it yes at least yes. not with our current way of treating it yes how would you amplify the effects of their own coping mechanisms i guess is what i'm trying to ask right um it's it's very very hard because um you know people are individual generally people with depression are introverts so um, just reaching out, you know, to say hello or, you know, express concern generally will just, it'll, it'll help, obviously, right? It's, um, it's never going to be negative. But what's also hard is that w- as with introverts, a lot of people um, that are introverts don't like to express fully how they are. And so they hold back, yeah, right? It's, it's very hard to evaluate where exactly on that negative slope they are, right? Like, but I can't tell whether you're 10 meters from the bottom or like, you know, just starting, right? And so a lot of the times, especially with kind of what I would say is superficial contact like this, um, the initial reaching out, um, a lot of people also won't be comfortable with going past that, right? Especially because this is a state that leaves them vulnerable. So, Wait, by people, do you mean the people with the depression or the people reaching out? No, no uh, the people with the depression. It, it makes them vulnerable to kind of go past the superficial contact, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, so, and that can be a very uncomfortable experience because, I mean... Again, you want to hide the symptoms. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always... It's like why uh, people in uh, relationships with domestic abuse or, like, um, things like that happen... That's, that's the reason why they stay in it, because change to them is scarier than the violence they're facing right now, right? And yes. that, that's how it feels for a majority of it. You feel... That comparison with domestic violence is actually a pretty accurate one, in my opinion, because the thing is with both depression and domestic violence is fundamentally it shifts your perspective. Yeah, so yeah. it puts you in a box, basically, where all you can see are, you know different ways that the world is closed off to you yeah pr- yes 100 percent. right um it kind of feels like i guess tunnel vision 
right? Where yes. you don't really notice anything in your peripheral and you can only kind of see exactly what you want to see, but it's not even what you want to see, right? It's what, it's what your mind decides it wants to see, if that makes sense. Well, actually, putting it that way is pretty interesting because it links in with your previous point about right. suicidal thoughts being, well, I guess the opposite of suicidal actions. Yes. Because if you think about it, right, if your body has a knack, well, I say body, but I guess it's more like brain chemistry. Yeah, yeah. If your physical mind fundamentally has the urge to, well, I guess, stare into the abyss, then a depression would be just your own mental awareness of your body's tendency to do this. Mm. And then suicidal thoughts would be a manifestation of a desire to escape this infinite loop that your body is trapped itself in. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I like to, um, whenever I'm thinking, kind of try and separate my mind into what I regard as conscious thought and unconscious thought, which is... Because unconscious thought is really fiddly to deal with. Yes, yes, 100%. And especially when you're in that kind of state, it's very hard to realize what what exactly it is that kind of your conscious mind wants and what it is your unconscious mind is saying. When do you think you hit on this method of separating your mind into conscious versus unconscious? Uh, it, it is very hard. Um, it's, it's very, very hard uh, kind of to say, but the medication has helped a lot. So why, why I think, for example, our, our current system, it may be flawed, but it still does help individuals, right? Because what medication can do is give people kind of a sense of the light at the end of the tunnel. It, because you, you understand what a situation of not being depressed would be like, it's very easy to um, see hope again. You Okay, you get so a, like the idea that once you see the light at the end of the tunnel once, you always know that it's going to be there eventually. Yes, and, and because of that, you can understand that your previous experiences were experiences that were clouded by this disease, right? And I, I would say that I, I only really understand some kind of conscious thought and unconscious thought because I've had this experience, right? Because I've had periods where I didn't have um, like a, a constant kind of fog of depression, but it, it's essentially looking at things as a contrast, right? It's just that in this situation, you only can look at things as, as a contrast because you've had those two experiences, right? Yeah. yeah. So because you know what it feels like to not have depression, mm -hmm. your depression becomes more recognizable. Yes. And then, yeah, you can kind of separate into the two different thoughts, yeah. If you were to change the way we treat mental health, right? Mental health illnesses. Yeah. Would you keep the medication aspect? Because, at like you said, right, yeah. they do have an impact, even if only initially. Yes, yes, 100%. So while I am against the current system, it's not like there are benefits that we can derive from it, right? So for example, a lot of the medication that we develop right now um, are what's called, you know, just generally regarding them, you know, overview are serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? Um, and yeah. essentially the, the mechanism of action is just to essentially increase the level of serotonin in our system. So, and what that gives us is an elevated mood, right? 
And so I think that is that kind of it, it can have a big benefit in treating our depression, right? But we also need to be considering drugs that can, for example, disassociative hallucinogenics that can take us out of that depressive state, work on things there, and then when we re-enter the depressive state, for example, in the future, we already have gone through that once in a place where we're not necessarily trapped within our own negative okay. mind space. Right. So again, it's the idea that depression, rather than thinking of it as an illness in the body, mm. it's probably more helpful to think about it as a physical thing that's confining your consciousness. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's no, it's not like a pathogen in the body, but it's like a box you're stuck in. Yes, yes. 100%. And the idea is, well, you know, current medication targets mental health in the same way that drugs well, for example, antibiotics, antivirals, those things would target pathogens inside the body. Mm. Whereas what you're advocating in terms of things like hallucinogenics, they actually take your mind out of where it is right now. Yes. So it creates that distance that you really need to observe your depression from afar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But but again, I'm I'm not like advocating self-medicating because I think that um It's really easy to go too far if you do self-medicate. Yeah. And Generally, um, taking yourself out of that box doesn't help if you don't go anywhere afterwards, right? Because once you go yeah, back, yeah, in, yeah. once you go back in that box, you won't know what to do. So, like, if if you have depression and you just like smoke weed, you know, like on a regular basis, you're probably not going to cure it unless during those periods when you do self medicate, you achieve some kind of spiritual breakthrough where you understand why it is you feel what you feel, right? So. I still think that the way that we medicate needs to be regulated professionally and with the help of, for example, psychiatrists, psychologists, yeah. right? That can help us understand ourselves better. But it is a worthy... At the same time, we need to change the objective of the medication. Yes, yeah. I, I don't think um, artificially elevating your mood levels is going to help, especially long-term. Because like everything, you do develop a dependence to drugs over long periods of time and so sure there are a lot of drugs which can do this right and which your body may not be familiar to but once you run out of those options you don't have anywhere else to go and you really 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 do need to just fix the underlying problem which can be done with drugs that are currently not inside of our current health system beforehand right yeah. when you said that even separating your consciousness from your depression wouldn't help unless you had some sort of revelation about what's causing it. Yeah. Would you think that it is possible to isolate the cause of your depression to something environmental? Mm. It would be very hard, especially in my case. So I've, I would like to say that I can objectively view things fairly well, right? And so when, when you consider all the circumstances, right, like I've been born in you know, a, a very developed nation. I didn't have, you know, major troubles during my upbringing or, you know, any, you know, possible trauma that may have happened in my childhood, which affects my thinking patterns now. Um, and I'm, I would say, you know, on average, fairly well adjusted. So it's very hard to link my mental health with environmental factors, which is also a very big problem, right? Because this is exactly the place where we're seeing mental health cases rising. 
which is um, economically developed countries. And so, yeah. The fact that you bring up the idea that, well, you know, mental health is more commonly noticed in well-developed countries. Mm. Do you think that's because we are in an, we are either in an environment that creates those problems or could it be due to the fact that we are better equipped to detect these things? I would say that it's it's kind of a mix of both, right? Mental health awareness has definitely gone up. So it's gone up, you know, extremely sharply during the last decade, two decades or so, right? Um, but there also is an element of kind of, because a lot of people don't have to worry about the problems that they did in the past, you know, like hunting for food is like, irrelevant now yeah like fund well all your basic needs are covered and they're relatively achievable in our current society mental health illnesses do kind of come about because or rather rise to the surface more easily because um we don't experience the problems that we did before but yeah 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 i would say it's a it's a mix of the both if you were to say that you can't isolate an environmental factor mm. Is it possible that it's just body chemistry? Very possible. So I think that there are um, genetic links to depression. And we we know of, you know, the specific gene that does have a correlation with it. So I, I would say that th there are cases, of course, cases where people are more prone to depression. But it's hard to say, right? Because we live in, or rather our, our body is very much a system where we can very easily treat ailments such as you know physical health worsening yeah for, for mental health it's just a completely different ballpark um with that perspective right would you then say that the reason why mental health is so hard to treat well at least in part mm. is because it can be caused by something that is physical like body chemistry but right. treating it like that doesn't actually work because the reason why it self-perpetuates mm. is because mentally right mm we aren't capable of separating ourselves from the illness right and the only way that we can ourselves cope with it is through that sort of mental separation yeah right right um i i see what you're saying and yeah it, it's very hard to kind of disassociate you know mental health diseases with the mind because it you know it's very clearly in the name so kind of a determinism link there where you know it's intrinsically something that can be explained with chemicals and such. It, it is a little bit hard, a little bit grating, I would say, to kind of think about, but it's, it's possible, yes. And if we treated it like that, I'm sure that we would find, you know, a higher degree of success. But So that we, day, we combine the fact that we treat it as a bodily illness, but mm -hmm. also accommodate the need to separate someone consciously from their illness. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a very good, if, if it's not a complete solution, at least it's a step towards the right direction. But while I do believe that, you know, very radical change is needed, at the end of the day, that's all we really can look for, right? A step in the right direction. No matter how many steps it takes, as long as we're on the right path, we'll get there, you know? That's, that's, a, really, that's a really nicely uplifting way of actually looking at our journey towards treating mental health better. Yeah. yeah. And... One, one thing that's emphasized is that you, you really can't rush it, right? The, the process will be very, very slow. And it will especially feel slow, you know, because once you kind of realize, okay, this is a problem, I need a solution, you get stuck in that 
feeling of wanting to fix the problem immediately. But a lot of the times it isn't so, it isn't so simple. And even for people who do have kind of an identified problem, which leads to depression, it's also extremely hard to unpack that and to kind of come to terms with it. People, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We don't like change, right? Like, yeah. yeah, we're hardwired to do the same things over and over. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's necessary to go slow, in my opinion. And that's a reasonable way of looking at it, because again, a mental health illness doesn't happen overnight. Mm. It always takes time to evolve to the current level that it, well, you know, to the point where it does become noticeable yeah. and therefore treatable. Yeah. So I guess mm. in a way, our treatment of mental illness is also in the process of, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say if it's in the process of evolving, but it's definitely at a stage where people have started to become aware that it does need to change. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. It's um, our, our current understanding. I mean, our understanding of everything is always, you know, changing, right? But very much so, mental health is in a stage of development right now. And that's purely because we also don't have enough documented cases of it. Like, I'm sure that if you go outside and you ask people, there'd be a much, much higher number of people who report, for example, symptoms of mental health illnesses, right? It's just that because it's so relatively new, People don't realize it's an actual problem. And again, because when you do have those illnesses, you often end up rationalizing them away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, very hard to kind of take the first step and to share that. I guess that the process of actually sharing how you feel, right? Mm. I feel like we are making progress as a society towards making a safe space oh, yeah. that encompasses most of the people in it where they do feel that they can voice out how they're feeling and yes, have yeah. someone, whether a paid professional or just a friend, pay attention to what they're saying. Yes, yes, 100%. So, like, if you compare that situation to, like, maybe 50 years ago, what we had by leaps and bounds, right? It is unimaginably better. Um, it's just that the, the, the problem is right now, there still exists some kind of a stigma, even if it's not societal-based, even if it's just personal stigma, of not wanting to speak out on, you know, your feelings or... Or maybe it's sort of a stigma against wanting to admit to weakness. Mm, because it's really yeah. easy to accidentally equate being mentally ill with, you know, having a weakness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, 100%. Um, I think especially because mental health, there's, there's a strong kind of correlation between lack of self-worth and mental health illnesses. So... It's, um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to kind of see what you're feeling as valuable, I guess, or kind of see yourself intrinsically as valuable. I guess it's mostly just trying to put people in a place where they do feel like they have the, the right to make that call when they go, okay, I feel like I have a problem. I need help. Yeah, I, I just always feel like there, there will be a degree of problem in necessarily doing that making that first step, right? Um, yeah, because that's always going to be the scariest thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing about that is that in a perfect space where our education is at a point where people understand, it's not going to be shameful because of, you know, for example, societal standards or you know, norms of culture or anything. Even in that space, 
it's it's kind of hard to guarantee that people with with these kinds of problems will always say that they have these kinds of problems. Okay. Well, yeah, because again, mm. these problems inherently lock you in a space where you feel like you are the only person in the world, or at least the only person in the world who feels that way. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, I think development on everything past the first step, at least, very much achievable, and very much something that we should be focusing on. How did you feel about taking that first step? And who did you take that first step with? It was very, very hard for me to open up, right? So I've been very close with my sister in a very, very close, kind of like scarily close because um, sibling relationships aren't always uh, this necessarily friendly, right? Like sometimes they're adversarial, which is very a very foreign experience, but very close with my sister. So she was the first person that I told that I have these kinds of thoughts with. And she was the first person to tell me, okay, that's kind of a problem, right? Um, and then that slowly led to me sharing with my father. Back then, I like to think that my kinds of thoughts on these matters, it was, it was still kind of stuck in that box, right? Um, I felt much less comfortable sharing the fact that I felt this way, mostly because I think um, I didn't want to like bother other people with my problems. Like again, like no, no one still isn't like people complaining all the time, right? Like I, I'd rather be surrounded with like people that make me feel good, but it's good to always remember that mental health illnesses still are illnesses, right? And like, for example, my sister put this really well. Um, if you broke your leg, you you wouldn't go around like trying to fake that you didn't break your leg or like you weren't in pain. It would be like, ow, I broke my leg, right? And so why wouldn't you do the same for depression, right? So that, that is yeah. actually, no, that's very true. Mm. So that kind of helped make me... Um, or like help lead me towards that kind of mental switch that this isn't something that should be kept from public eye. This isn't something that people sh shouldn't want to talk about, right? This is just another disease. It's just another illness, right? And if people don't talk about it, that's that's the way that this never gets treated. That's the way that we never give people the help that they need. So, yeah. Because they don't know that asking for that help is an option. Mm, exactly, right. If, if you don't make that kind of help available, those facets available, then even if someone wanted that help, they couldn't get it. So, yeah. Do you feel like current society has reached a point where we've sort of become complacent with how much progress we've made with treating mental illness? I, yes. Like, for example, you know, we no longer try to beat their illness out of them or anything stupid like that, but... <laughs> At the same time, right, mm -hmm. we go, okay, we have identified that there could be environmental factors. We have psychiatrists, psychologists. We can prescribe drugs or placebos to give a certain effect to manipulate the body's chemistry. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're still stuck in the same way of attacking it as if it's just another pathogen. Yes, yes. For, I, I think um, that's, you know, you, you've touched upon essentially the core of... Um, what I want to change, right? So it's not that this is a bad thing. I think the development of mental health, it very much has come a long way. Um, and our current systems do work in some cases, right? There are there are people that can, you know, get on a drug, find a therapist, and, and they are able to actually talk about their issues, find what it is that's wrong with them and fix them and not have to rely on the medication forever, right? 
but in a lot of cases this still won't work right this kind of um predetermined path that kind of formula to fixing someone because yeah depression and i feel like a lot of it comes down to kind of the misclassification of the disease of depression not so much misclassification but the fact that people can be feeling severely different things but still be labeled both be labeled depressed right well oh wait so are you just saying that our habit of labeling depression is inherently flawed because of how different how much it differs from case to case yes and because because of these differences it makes the treatment process also different right but because our current health system kind of goes okay one treatment for this particular disease which works in a lot of cases right um it will always work with something physical. Yes, like for exactly. example, again, coming back to the idea of a broken bone or a well, a foreign pathogen. It's yeah. always going. There's always going to be one sort of silver bullet treatment that fixes all, like you know, most variations of that issue. Yeah, exactly. But with mental health, it's vastly different. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's something that we need to realize before we try and start making corrections as well, right? Because if that problem okay. doesn't get treated. I don't think this fundamentally will ever get treated. Yeah. Coming back to the idea of, well, as I guess as a society, mm. how we view mental health, mm. what do you think about how mental health is perceived in the public eye in terms of media, right? Mm. Because like, you know, fairly recently we had Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Everyone was, everyone oh, was yes. sort of going, oh, you know, the mental health movie, incels unite, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But, it's not just a mental health yeah, move. It's move, kind of what? unfaithful. <laughs> movie. <laughs> it's sort of also like, you know, yeah, we label that as a mental health movie. A lot of people seem to view it that way. But how good of a job do you think it does as a mental health movie? Right. I think this is a, a really, really good point that you've touched on, right? Because when it comes to reporting especially media on things like mental health, right? It's very, very difficult to know where to draw the line. So for example, suicide cases and a lot of these mental health cases um, that happen you know, nearly daily aren't reported on the news. And that's purely done in order to not influence people that may be feeling suicidal, right? So. That, so, that, like, so, you yeah. know, the fear that reporting this and putting this in the public eye will actually encourage people to take that step. Yes, it, yes. And it encourages, yeah, it encourages vulnerable people to essentially mimic it. Not so much mimic it, but act upon that kind of influence, right? We're not exactly sure why, but we do know that media reporting on things like this is a bad idea. Now, when it comes to more representations of it, for example as you know in movies such as the joker i think that even if it's not 100 percent true at least it's something right and you know the the fact that it does expose people to the, the fact that these things exist and they exist a lot more commonly than you you know you'd think right because i mean the joker that's just one man. It's it's one man who's gone through a lot of, you know, probably unlucky steps in his life. But no matter the doubt, that is just one normal person, right? Um, 
I think just having that fact is immensely valuable. Because so the idea that you can put an example out there, mm-hmm. but again, keep it isolated as only one example. Yes, 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 to a degree. I think um, and very much so speaking on personal experiences with depression can help, right? Because especially in, um, for example, forms of media like music, right? There is a lot of music out there that can, I guess, kind of help people with coping through it. Because, I mean, it gives, at the end of the day, it still gives your personal experience of what what depression can really look like, right? It's a really up-close, you know, look at the ugly face of it. And it's kind of sobering sometimes. Generally as well, I think um, the more that society understands mental health illnesses as a whole, um, the more we can put representations of mental health illnesses out there without the fear of people necessarily feeling like that suicide is the final answer yeah basically yeah without the glorification without um influencing people to think that okay because this type of behavior is normal or because like other people are doing it yeah because although suicide is always a final answer it's Mm. never the final answer yes very, very much so i guess it's just a matter of becoming more aware of the fact that yes we have progressed and yes we have managed to improve our approach towards mental health a lot but we still have a ways to go Mm. and at the same time if you do suffer from a mental illness know that you have a system to back you up the system's not perfect Mm. but it's getting there yeah and in the future there will be a better system yeah but in the meantime it's not just the system you do have other people in your life to prop you up too Mm. yes yeah kind of like you know we're getting there hey hold out a little bit right things might get better things might not you know you'll stumble across the greatest fortune in your life but the key part is just you know why not wait a little bit thanks again to fred for agreeing to come on the show and well for saying everything he has. And thanks to you, too, for listening to the entirety of this episode. If you have a friend who may benefit from hearing this, please consider sharing it with them, and don't forget to reach out to those who you suspect might be doing it a bit more tough than they let on. And finally, while we at WFYU are definitely not professionals, if any of you have anything you would like to share on the show, please remember... We're only ever one message away from your debut.